This is April Mazza. And this is Christy Showman Fair. And this podcast is overdue. We're friends and coworkers, librarians, librarians. And each episode, we talk about books we're reading, things we're loving, and library advice for kids. Hey, Christy. Hi, April. How are you? I'm doing okay. Good. Me too. I'm always happy on podcast recording day. Me too. Like a little giddy. Yeah, Yeah, we are (laughs) definitely giddy today, both of us, I think. Um, But yeah, it's awesome to see you. And I'm very excited to hear about what book you're going to talk about. And I'm so excited to share. I actually changed because (gasps) so last episode, I had a book ready. I prepped it. Mm -hmm. I did some research. Um, and then we ended up talking about one book together. And then over the weekend, I started listening to something new and totally changed what I was going to talk about because Ooh. I'm so excited about this book that I needed to share. So um, I think on Saturday, I had finished my last audiobook and I needed something new and I was looking, not having any luck. And so I, I also happened to be texting with my friend, Laura. And she sent me a screenshot of the book that she was listening to. And she said it was good. And that um, some review somewhere said that Veronica Mars fans would like it. Ooh. And I was like, okay, I'm in. Yeah, so the I'm book intrigued. in question is The Girls I've Been by Tess Sharp. It's a young adult book. And it has this really great cover. It is solid red with just hair, like a wig. Oh, I've and then seen a hand it. reaching out, holding keys right? So that's all I know about it is that the cover and Veronica Mars fans will like it. And I was working on a cross stitch project. So I was sitting in my little chair in the corner and listening to the audio audiobook. And before I knew it, I had listened to like three hours of it. Wow. I, awesome. I like was doing nothing else, just sitting there cross stitching and listening. Um, so uh, the audio first off is read by the author, which doesn't happen very frequently. Mm-hmm. Um, and she is a phenomenal narrator. She oh, has cool. the voice spot on. Um, the story follows Nora, um, who is, I think, 17, based on kind of the math that I'm doing in my head. And um, she and two friends are um, stop at a bank to deposit some money from a fundraiser that they've done. And while they're there, two men enter and are robbing the bank Mm. and it becomes instantly becomes a hostage situation. And so the whole story takes place within a few hours of being held hostage in this bank with these men. But throughout the story, we get flashes back. It's all told from Nora's perspective and um, we get flashes back to her life and kind of information about how she is able to, to um, kind of uh, scan what's happening in the bank at the time and come up with ideas and plans for getting everybody out. Um, Because she does, she has this ability to kind of um, problem solve quickly on her feet and to, um, and she has uh, somebody on the outside who she's able to get a message to. Um, And the, the whole, I don't want to give anything too, too much away because it, it, it unfolds so beautifully. Um, you know, little drops of information here and there um, interspersed between historic, you know, chapters that are take place in the past and then current chapters that are saying, you know, like it is now nine o'clock. 
um, been hostage for 72 minutes. This is what I have to work with. I have, you know, in the list of things hey, that cool. she has, and it is just incredible. I just, I, I, I have about two hours left of the book. All I want to do is go and sit and finish it <laughs> because I need to know what happens. Um, and then there's also just, you know, in addition to the, the mystery of what's happening, who Nora is, what does the title even mean? Mm. Um, who are these girls that she's been? What is the, you know, what are they talking about? And then how are they going to get out of this situation um, in the bank? There's this lovely romance um, mm. between Nora and Iris, who is um, her fairly new girlfriend, um, who just has this like lovely style she wears vintage clothing um and the descriptions of the clothing are fabulous and actually I, I went and I was looking at Tess Sharp's Instagram and Twitter um in kind of leading up to all of this and um she has some photo like one of the most recent I think um Instagram stories was just a, a picture of her in a dress but it's just like sparkly corduroy so I can tell that she's ah. into like fun fashion yeah. too um, so all the details were like are really spot on and then I also found out that, of course, Netflix is making it into a movie. Oh, interesting. And it sounds like they optioned it even before the book came out, because the book came out this year. Wild. And a lot of the articles were from 2020. Um, Millie Bobby Brown is Ooh, set to play Nora. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. And I, I don't know that they've really done much, except mm -hmm. that um, the book was mentioned in um, an article, I think, in Teen Vogue, um, because somebody pointed out that Millie Bobby Brown posted a picture on social media of her with short brown hair kind of like the cover of the book and so maybe oh. they've started production maybe not I don't know but I think it's gonna make a fabulous movie it is oh, so fun. compelling and fun and yeah I'm really interested yeah. um especially it sounds it. so unique like the way it's set up it is yeah it's I I, I really like stories that take place kind of like current you know are mm. are within a you know or not current but like take place in a in short moment, time span right. yeah, yeah in the moment but like reading the book takes almost about the amount of time that the mm. book takes place um it because it they're just so fast-paced and interesting and yeah oh very good. cool I will definitely be checking that out thanks yeah and oh and I should also put a um, shout out to um uh, library audiobook collections because I would be nothing without access right. to <laughs> my library and also um to our colleague um Tressa who is does all the collection development because Ooh. thank you for getting this book because yeah I got it from our collection absolutely yeah she does an amazing job with the collection and actually as a fan of the podcast she told me <laughs> that she um will make sure she buys the books that we <gasps> talked about yeah oh my god especially that's so exciting. The books. yeah you didn't know that yeah oh yeah so actually, as an aside yeah. speaking of review books somebody some of you might have seen on our instagram account but i want a giveaway for tay keller's new book i saw that very I'm cool i'm so excited so it may end up being a book that i talk about um yeah chance to read it yeah we want to know we want to know so what have you been reading well i have a little shout out too to a mutual friend of ours suzanne myers harold out on the west coast in oregon um who uh, texted a bunch of us about Jojo McCoon's 
Um, oh, that's uh, right. Is, yeah, yes. part of a new series. Uh, this one's called The Used to Be Best Friend, and it's by Don Quigley and illustrated by Tara Audibert. Um, and Jojo, she's a young girl. Uh, she's in the first grade, and she lives on a fictional Native American Ojibwe reservation. Um, and we learn more about that in the section before, uh, before even like the table of contents. And then there's also an author's note at the back, which... If I you love listen to the notes. podcast, yeah, you know, we <laughs> are author's notes, nerds, yep, and there's more info in the back, um, including that this book is part of a new imprint um, at HarperCollins called Heart Drum. I actually don't know how new it is. Um, it looked like it could have been around mm. for a while, but it was definitely new to me, um, and so I'm excited, like, totally looking yeah. forward to more like this. Don't quickly, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I think uh, so. Yeah. For now, books? kids and maybe teen. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and Don Quigley is a citizen of the Turtle Mountain Band of Ojibwe, North Dakota. And the illustrator, um, Tara Audibert, I think that's how you pronounce it, but I'm not 100% sure. Um, because it could be Audibert because she is from the um, Wallastogi French heritage. Um, and she resides in Canada. So it could be, that could be a French name. Um, but anyway, uh, and speaking of the illustrations, they are all grayscale, um, but they're absolutely charming. Uh, they show all these emotions. They're like really lively. Um, they're stylized in a way that I think is really appealing to kids right now. It's sort of that anime Oh book. yeah, you know the people have like these big heads and big eyes, um, kind of like like video Better game characters, <laughs> yeah. Um, but they're like they're super cute, and yeah. um, I don't think you miss anything because they're not in color. It's a it's a beginning chapter book, uh, basically, and um, and anyway, uh, maybe I should get to the plot. But <laughs> the story is um, it's really like a pretty simple um story and that's actually like the best part to me uh Jojo she reminds me a lot of Ramona and even Junie B Jones who I know can be a controversial character but what I like about these um girl characters is that they're all clever they're like headstrong they get things wrong but like they're not they're not um intentionally trying to be you know naughty or anything like that they just really good hearted yeah they're they're kids they're good hearted they're sensitive um you know yeah and they like don't always understand adults and honestly neither do I um (laughs) so like stuff like um she calls the phys ed teacher Jim like she thinks his name is J-I-M um but it's really they're going to gym super valid (laughs) yes yes and um you know and there's all sorts of like little cute hijinks like that. So um, totally relatable and funny and, but also really respectful and contemporary representation of native Americans. And we just need books like this so much more, yeah. you know, yes, being um, native American living on a reservation is part of her story and her identity, but it's really about just being a little kid, you know, and mm-hmm. like going to school and having a friend and, you know, just normal, relatable stuff. So, and it is the first of a series. um, So I'm excited for more. The second one will be called Fancy Pants. So (laughs) keep your eyes out for that. I do hope, you know, if you work in a library, I hope you're adding 
these books to your collections, if you um, are a reader and buy books, especially for kids around that age, kindergarten, first grade, and um, are looking for a early chapter book, this would be perfect. Oh, it looks so fun. It's really fun. I had to do the ball acronym in my head. Like, what's next? <laughs> a for A for ask us anything. Do you want to kick us off with the question? Sure. So this is a simple one, and I think it's you know comes down to preference. But I'm super curious, April. Mm-hmm. Do you prefer digital or print books? Mm. Uh, both. <laughs> Surprise answer. I like both, and for different reasons. Um, I'm. D- you know, honestly, to me, it's stories. I like stories. It doesn't really matter what format. Um, it could be an audiobook. It could be, you know, newspaper article. It can be podcasts even to me are um, mostly stories. But I think it's it also sort of depends. Like, yeah, if I'm reading a, a picture book or a graphic novel, definitely my preference is a print book. It's yeah. just a a Absolutely. richer experience and often a better experience. Um, I did have a really fun book. Um, ooh, the title's going to escape me, but it was um, about a dragon. It was a picture book and I could, I was curious about it and I could only get, uh, get a, um, the digital copy from the library. It was available. It was by Kelly DiPuccio. Oh, I know that one. Yeah. And I can't think of the full title, but it's yeah. the one where the, um, the bad dragon. The dragon. Yeah. yeah. We well, we'll, we'll edit that. Yeah. Um, but anyway, <laughs> the, you know, we're looking at it with our niece on the iPad and the, the app, you know, just, uh, you had to like tap on the page each time to get the image to show up. I don't know what, you know, it's probably like our problem, right? Not necessarily the app, but dragon was terrible. Oh, thank you. Dragon was terrible. Um, and it, it's a really cute book. Definitely check it out. But, you know, it was just like a lackluster experience on the iPad. However, it's a really great book. Like, yeah. I, you know, we got to read it a, a couple times and it was fun. Um, if I'm going away, I like, you know, my novels uh, as eBooks because then I can just bring the one reader and I don't have to cart around a bunch of books on vacation. But in general, it doesn't really matter to me. Although I will say one thing, and I am curious if other people have this problem. If I have a book on my e-reader, I forget that it's there. So yeah. <laughs> like I check out a lot of eBooks um, from our digital collections and and then I kind of like forget about them, but like the physical book, it'll be, you know, it's on my nightstand. It's on the side table. It's on the kitchen table. Like I have them all over <laughs> the office. I have them all over the place. And maybe that's part of my problem too. Is like, even though I don't read multiple books at a time, I check out like tons of books at one time. And so the ones that are on the e-reader, unless I'm like, like already like really into it and I need to finish it, I kind of forget. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious about you. I feel like I could say ditto to like all of them. <laughs> um, but um, the one of the things that was first coming to mind was, and I think I've mentioned it a few times, I, I worked at a vendor for a few years. And uh, when I was there, there was an ebook team. And it was at a time when ebook sales were really still rising. And everybody was like, hey, ebooks are the next, next best thing. It's like the best mm-hmm. thing ever. And 
with this ex this assumption that they were going to just completely get do away with print and then all of a sudden there was a plateau mm. and you know it was something that I think librarians and booksellers and readers were trying mm-hmm. to tell everybody anyway but that it just for some reason people weren't listening is that sometimes you just want the physical book right. there's a tactile experience that the kinest, uh, kinetic kind of like moving of the page um you know being able to flip back and forth to like mm-hmm. remember something especially with like character names or oh, something. I'm so glad you brought that up or like because maps <laughs> yeah yeah that's one of my issues too sometimes with the ebook is I want to go back but it's not as easy really to do hard. so I yeah. don't do it <laughs> yeah but I you know and, and so I I tend to I tend to listen to audiobooks and read print books with the exception of sometimes if I'm traveling a lot, I do have a, um, a Kindle um, ebook reader that I'll, I'll load up if I'm traveling, which I have not done in a very right. long time. <laughs> um, but I also will uh, sometimes get a digital book if I have finished a print book that's in my, my hands and I mm-hmm. don't have another one right away. Like right. I'm not going to be able to get to the library or I don't, I'm out somewhere, you know, I've been known to be waiting in a doctor's office, which I do a lot and, uh, or a therapy office and finish a print book and be desperate. And so, mm-hmm. um, I'll, I'll look browse and, and check out an ebook right then. Um, but again, yeah, it's, it's, it depends, but right. most of the time, I think I do prefer print. And I also, um, I read a lot of graphic novels and some graphic novels work really, really well digitally. Um, and actually it de- depends on the platform. I think mm-hmm. that Hoopla does a pretty good job with graphic novels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I would agree with that. Whereas other platforms aren't always so good. And so, um, you know, you want to be able to, to see the whole page and then also zoom in on panels. Right. Um, and if you can't do both, then it's a really difficult experience trying to read because you might not be able to see all the details or you won't be able to see the big picture. Right. And it's, you rarely can see a double page spread, which, you know, for some um, graphic novels, that's really, really important. And some picture books too, because we will see both pages at the same time, um, which is nearly impossible in digital. So yeah, right. both. I'm really curious to know what our listeners think too. Me too. Well, and the, the question came up originally, I saw on, I think, a Facebook group or a listserv. Mm-hmm. And it was actually about sort of, um, you know, for the, the librarian, co- you know, collection development uh, workers, sort oh, of what they yeah. what they thought if there was a difference and um, if it mattered, like when you're reporting your statistics, and I would be curious what our listeners um, yeah. think about that as well. Like if that, that seems well, I mean, to matter again to me, it, it wouldn't, but I haven't worked in a public library in a while. And when I did the, uh, the digital formats weren't quite as popular. And I don't think we even had um, a video streaming video service yet, you know, it was, it, so that like adds a whole other element Um that's kind of different, but I know like my public library, I was just there today picking up some holds and they still get new DVDs and I went to check them out. You know, I went over to look and see what was there. Um, so I think it's still like really a mix and it can just depend again on like preference, well, but also availability. And when it comes to, from the librarian perspective, selecting for digital versus print, mm-hmm. there's a huge rabbit hole there be- mm-hmm. and we could like spend an hour talking about it because 
um, you know, buying a, a physical copy of a book could be $25 for the right. library. And the digital copy could be $60 and would expire in a year. Right, right. And, and the physical so, you could have until right. it falls apart. <laughs> exactly. And, yeah. you know, the, the rules on that publishers are putting on digital books um, are penalized libraries. Right. For, for loaning them. Right, absolutely. And so, yeah, it's like its own episode totally yeah um but (laughs) if anybody has any questions about it we're happy to kind of dive in at some point well and also very current as well because there's still sort of stuff going on illegal stuff right but um but that's also why there's such a huge weight right the the (laughs) ebooks and audiobooks yeah 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 Um, everybody's you know checking them out right now since they're still mostly staying home and right well that's why I was thinking about that too that you know, when, when COVID hit and so many places had to close, um, ebook collections, you know, that they just started going through the roof yeah. and, um, and, and, and that's another reason why I like them sometimes and why I, why I will choose digital is because it's available. So mm-hmm. I have had that too. Like you're saying, like, I'll finish something and then I'm like, oh, what else is this author written or whatever? Or, you know, I don't read too many series, but you know, that that's happened before too, though, where I'm like, Ooh, I want the next book. And like, Oh my gosh, there it is available right now. (laughs) I can read it right this minute. I don't have to go anywhere, but, um, but yeah, it does come at a bit of a cost. Right. And, um, and that is often like why you have to wait for it to be released. Mm -hmm. Um, or, or if there are a lot of holds because you can't, I don't think a lot of people realize that even though it's a digital copy, libraries have to buy individual copies you can't just just buy the one exactly yeah Mm -hmm. hoopla is is like that it's a different platform but um for most stuff that people use on like overdrive um you're you can't do that and so you are on a wait list and um nobody likes to wait for a book Uh, actually the audiobook i was going to talk about was um dave Grohl's the storyteller oh new memoir it's really good um and I had been on the wait list along you know, with some friends. We we're all on the wait list at the same time. And I happened to get a copy. I don't know exactly what happened, but their waits say it's like more than six months wow, because wild. so many people are trying cool. and, and everybody wants to listen to it because he right. yeah. himself. Maybe um, you have an in. I think I might've been the first one oh. in our network, yeah. you know, or, or top, top of the smart. list. Yeah. <laughs> very smart but yeah we would love to hear like what other people think and if you have a yeah. big preference you can email or... us at this pod is overdue at gmail.com you can send us messages on instagram where this pod is overdue um we'd love to hear from you hey april i want to know what you've been learning about i actually want to talk about uh like a documentary that i watched Ooh, yes i say I, like a documentary because i'm not sure but i think it is okay <laughs> I, i'm all over documentaries Love yeah i well i like them a lot but sometimes they're depressing but this one was actually pretty interesting um it it's uh laura ingalls wilder prairie to page is that was, the one that was pbs yes it yes. was on uh their american masters and actually it was like about a year ago 
but I finally got around to watching it. I remember when it was coming, like mm-hmm. on, going to be coming mm-hmm. out. Right. Yes. So there were a lot of articles about it. I, when I was reading um, Prairie Lotus. Right. Yes. Yeah. It was around that time. And also um, the, the uh, Wilder Awards name changed yeah. um, to, I think it's the Children's Leg- Literature Award. The Legacy? Mm. Yes. And I'm a bad board member. Um, but yeah, there, you know, just like with so many nostalgic children's books uh, where we, you know, learn more about the author's backgrounds, et cetera, mm-hmm. and changes are made, like with the Dr. Seuss books, there was a bit of a media, um, media uproar yeah kerfuffle um around the same time so you know it was definitely on my mind um to watch this um but true confession I've never read any of the little house books it's okay I know it's okay but But, uh you know for our listeners out there, they yeah. might be shocked because I was a children's librarian for a very long How time. How did you get your library degree? I know. reading Little House on the Prairie. I know. Girl. Well, I, you know, I was sort of thinking, <laughs> I was sort of thinking like, why did this not ever like sort of cross my path? I mean, I did sort of know about it as a kid, but it was yeah. not, these were not books that were of interest to me. And I think partially because I grew up in a city and it just, yeah. Was Did not that interesting. Show? A little bit, a little bit, but uh, we weren't like super duper into it. Um, I feel like I only watched the TV show when I was homesick. Yeah, yeah. I think like when I was watching, like, it was actually reruns. Yeah, um, and like none of my friends, like I, like that was the thing too. When I was at the age when this would have been a book I read on my own, none of my friends were reading it. Um, my stepmom influenced a lot of what I read and she's a, a woman of color. And I, I don't know, I actually haven't talked to her about like why she didn't um, <laughs> give me this book, but you know, could have been, it just wasn't relatable to her either. Yeah. Like it just wasn't, it just wasn't on my radar as a child. And I didn't really, I don't know. I just didn't really have this interest in it. And then as I grew older, when I learned more about like the racism in it mm. and um you know, how Native American people were treated in the books, it just like really lost its appeal for me. Yeah, absolutely. But I was still really curious to watch this documentary and to learn more. Um, you know, this since the books are considered classics, um, they're so beloved, they're just part of like American culture so yeah. strongly, and people do have these really strong feelings. And I just don't, you know, I know the basics, but I didn't know anything about Laura Ingalls Wilder really. Um, I also was curious to watch it because the talk about it before it came out, you know, was making the rounds. And I knew that Linda Sue Park, who wrote Prairie Lotus, I knew that she was in it. And also Roxanne Gay talks in the right. book. Right. Yes. I and, forgot about that. Yeah. And I'm fans of both of them. And I, would, I was curious, like, I want to know what they were going to say about the books. And Linda Sue Park does talk about her inspiration for Prairie Lotus was the Little House books and sort of how she wished the books could be you know how she wished they were when she was a reader because she really felt alienated by them but she also loved them so much she loved the stories and I do think the documentary did a good job of presenting the history in a way that it wasn't revisionist you know it wasn't Mm -hmm. because I do feel like this could have come out 
just even a few years ago and it could have just glossed over all right, the problems just been a big, like mm-hmm. right and um you know just leaving things out and showing things in a positive light um but also they included native american voices not many but again i think several years ago you would have only heard maybe from white um you know fans yeah, <laughs> of yeah. the books and the author while being interviewed exactly Mm -hmm. of this you know they kept it real and I really appreciated that and so again as not a huge fan or honestly just not have not no exposure to these books it was still really interesting in general Laura Ingalls Wilder did have a really interesting life and there was collaboration between her and her daughter that was kept secret like their whole lives but really, her daughter helped her write these books. Did that, they say why it was kept secret? Well, part of it was that her daughter, whose name was Rose, did not want to be associated with children's books. She was a writer, like in her own right. She was actually very popular. Mm-hmm. Children's you're, books you're were like, <laughs> yeah, they were oh looked down gosh. on and wow. sort of, you know, and she just didn't want to be affiliated with that. Um, but also part of why Laura wrote these books is I mean, they were just dirt poor. Her family struggled even into her adulthood and she saw how successful her daughter was. So she wanted to try her hand at this and um, with her daughter's help became, did become very successful. So yeah, I just like in terms too of like the history of that, Mm -hmm. you know, people basically moving westward and yes, all the problems that came along with that stealing land, killing people, um, not even actually regarding um, no. Native Americans yeah. as people. And that actually comes up in the book. And that's a change that had been made in one of the books. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, rem- I remember yeah. that. Yeah, they talk um, about that. Yeah. Um, but but again, there's like some interesting things also about that time and and for children's literature. So if you're like mm-hmm. into children's literature, if you're into history um, and you want to see a documentary that addresses problems in a realistic way, you know, a, not realistic, but what's the word I'm looking for? Like they don't gloss over anything. It's just all out there and it's for you to take in and, and mm-hmm. process. So anyway, I watched it on the PBS app on my TV, but you can also watch it on their website. So you don't I'm a member but you don't have to be to watch this particular documentary so I'll put the link in the the show notes but along with that there was another thing that I was excited about learning and it it's related it's from the Library of Congress it's the signature project of Joy Harjo she's the current poet laureate and the project's called Living Nations Living Words And it highlights 47 contemporary Native American poets. And there's a poetry collection uh, where you can read and listen to the poems and hear the poets talk about, like their inspiration for the poets. And it's all in their own voices. Um, And then there's an interactive map, which leads to the poetry collection. So, you know, you can look at the map. (laughs) I know we love maps. (laughs) And this one's interactive, so you can like click so on can, an like, area. See it. Yeah, poems yeah, you from... can click on an area, and then it'll bring you to the poem and the poet. Um, but what's cool is the poets got to choose where on the map they were. Oh, that's because great. yeah, it could not be, just necessarily right. where their tribe is currently located. right. Well, right. So they could be living in you know one place, mm-hmm. but 
or the because, yeah, right. It's because they were pushed out of yeah. their tribal or land, even just contemporary life, actually. Well, uh, true. Yep. <laughs> during um, Teen Summit, our, our event that we have in the fall, we had an, um, a session, and um, and uh, one of the speakers was a member of the Mohegan tribe, mm-hmm. and she was mentioning how, like, people, you know, people live in California and they live right. in Illinois. They just live all over the country because they went to college or they got a job somewhere. Right. And moved. <laughs> but yeah, it that happens. Right. And if and so here, if the poet wanted to be in their current place, they could. But if they wanted it to be somewhere else, they could. And I just thought that was really good to know about. Yeah, you know, yeah. as um as a person interacting with the site um and there's an educator guide and it has activities that can use be used for both so if you want to just do the poems or use the map um it's designed for grade seven and up up through adults uh but it could be adapted for younger children i think so if you do anything with (laughs) any kind of teaching with kids um if you're a parent, I mean, I think this is super accessible. They, the poems are, yeah, they okay. are a little bit, you know, it is, like I said, designed for older kids, but, um, or, and, and adults, but I think you could really get inspired by it too. And the activities. Um, and I also just want to mention that the poems are grouped into different themes and touch points. And I think that's another sort of jumping off point for people using this, um, you know, these are all relatable to all people. So like place, um, displacement, persistence, resistance, and and many more. I think it could be about 12 or more themes. Um, And then there's a page of additional resources, again, that any educator, librarian, parent, no matter what age group they work with, um, would be interested in using. So I thought those two went nice together. They do, yeah. And the... um, and the living nations, living words is fairly new. Good job, April. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> what about you? You only get one. What is oh, it? Oh, well. Um, so I feel like this is kind of linked to yours last time, whereas I'm like, I'm learning about myself. But the thing that I'm learning is specifically about removing the concept of morality from whether or not your house is clean. Oh gosh, preach. Right? So I, I mean, I know we've talked about TikTok before and I feel like in the past months, TikTok as an app gets a bad rap, but there's a lot of really amazing content there. Um, and I've learned a lot. And there's this one creator, um, her name is Casey Davis and her, um, her account is called Struggle Care and domestic blisters. Um, so she has, you know, one is the, the, the name of the account and one is the, the at, so it's at domestic, domestic blisters. And, um, she's a licensed therapist who also happens to have ADHD. And she, the first videos that I stumbled upon were of her, um, very quickly cleaning up cluttered spaces and talking about this idea of when you, when you're kind of approaching a very cluttered space to just look at, these four things or maybe it's five things, um, trash, dishes, laundry, things that have a place and things that don't have a place. That's five, right? Um, but um, some of her later videos and the ones that I've really been thinking about recently are the ideas that we tend to carry in us lots of 
of messages about expectations. Um, and I think for especially women in the United States and women who have children and who also have jobs, mm -hmm. this expectation that you still have to have like this perfectly mm. clean home mm -hmm. or else you are a failure of some sort, or you're a not, not a good mom right. or, or not a good wife or not a good oh, homeowner, whatever it is, that there's a morality linked to your ability to keep this one room or this many rooms in your space mm -hmm. looking TV perfect. Um, and how, first off, having clutter on your dining room table is not a moral no feeling. <laughs> yeah, and no. and I know that they that might sound very simple to a lot of people but for me it was like mind-blowing um and also the one that kind of led me to wanting to do this as my learn today was the concept that wrinkled clothing has no morality <laughs> you know right, that, yeah. like I think you know they're over a lot of time, if, you know, if we went to, as a kid, you went to school and you saw a kid with a wrinkled shirt, you may assume that it's dirty. Well, what if they just don't like folding their clothes, right? right? There's no, like, who cares? Right. It's just clothing. And I, and this came up kind of the other day because I, I posted on Facebook that, um, that my eight-year-old was using drumsticks to put right. his clothes away. Um, so he was using drumsticks kind of like they were chopsticks. Um, and, and I, one of the things that I think is, is really joyous about this child is that, you know, he has a task every Sunday when I do, I do laundry, I, I will help him fold it. And then he puts it away. I don't care how he does it. Right. And he makes a game of it all the time. And it, he has so much fun doing it <laughs> and they go into a drawer. I don't know if they're, they stay folded. Right. I don't know if they're all like, just honestly, I do know they're all jumbled yeah. in there, pushed in there. I don't care. Right. And somebody on the, the post asked, well, does it matter if they're folded neatly in the drawer or is just put away? Okay. And I'm like, of course it's okay. Right. Like, why would I, you know, and then I kind of brought me but back some to this people idea. Do. Exactly. Yeah. That there's some sort of, of, of like, you know, value that there's a moral value right. associated to how you put things away or then whether or not your clothing has wrinkles when it comes out. Mm -hmm. And the reality is it doesn't. doesn't yeah. And then also mind blowing about all this is that all these rules that I've had associated with what she calls care tasks or the chores, but really are their care tasks, how you care about yourself and your space, that all the rules that I've had set up in my brain are arbitrary. Mm -hmm. And that I can reset it because I am the grown up in this house and yeah. I can. Well, it's your that. brain. Exactly. <laughs> yes. So, one other thing that I've done, inspired by these videos, is um, now after the kids go to bed or after dinner, um, I load the dishwasher and I run it. I don't care if it's full. Right. <laughs> it's and a that, brilliant plan, I think. Right? But it, it actually caused a little bit of stress in my house because um, my husband was like, no, 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 no. We have to wait till the dishwasher is full before we run it because otherwise we're wasting water. And I'm like, but does it really matter? Because we're going to run it every day, right? no matter what. So this way I wake up to clean counters mm -hmm. and clean dishes. And it has been this huge revelation and like huge stress reliever on me that I have learned there's no morality associated mm -hmm. <laughs> with how my house looks and I can make the rules. Right. 
Well, and you said, you said something like, oh, it's so simple, but it was mind blowing. And I think the most mind blowing things are the simple things because we haven't allowed ourselves to think that way. You know, we, and again, especially as women, um, and you know, I don't have kids, but it's, I think it's much harder if you do absolutely, but there's still kind of a funny thing of, um, like, it's almost like I care about the house more right. than right. my And then it also does. falls on you. So right. if somebody, some stranger came over to your house and it was a disaster. Right. I do feel responsible. <laughs> yeah. That's or, and who's going to feel responsible? Right. Exactly. It's terrible. And, and it, like you said, it's like completely an unnecessary feeling. And I, I have spent, I think quite some time working on that. And I think I'm in a, a better place than some of my my friends for sure. It started when I was in grad school, which was not even this um, century, but, (laughs) but, uh, but yeah, it was like, I can't do it all. And I lived with a roommate then. I mean, it wasn't even like my own place that I felt responsible for, but I just knew I couldn't, I couldn't keep up with everything. And so some things were just going to be a little messy or cluttered and that was going to be fine. And so yeah, whenever I talk to anyone going back to school, that's like my number one thing is to like, let go of the housework. And I also just want to point out to you, I don't know anyone that does not have a cluttered house. Like yeah. I've just never, I cannot even think, okay, one time I went to a party, it was for a friend at another friend's house that I didn't know. I didn't know this person. So that's why it doesn't count. Cause I don't know them at all. And their house <laughs> did look like a magazine and they had kids and I was shocked. But so I, I don't know that- if it was just clean, you know, for the party, but it was like, that's it. Like my whole life I'm 47. Like I yeah. never been in someone's home that was like perfect, perfect because it's impossible exactly. and it's not yeah. necessary. And it's, it's not the brand that um. Casey Davis had made one too, is that, you know, when you're comparing yourself, your home to other people's homes, you're comparing to TV or movies, or Mm -hmm. you're comparing to somebody's home when they spent three hours cleaning quickly before you showed up, you know, that there are very few people in your life, usually who will allow you into your, their space without Mm -hmm. doing some sort of cleanup before you get there. And so the comparisons you're making are not real. Right. Yeah. My main thing, like if we know someone's coming over, Got to clean the bathroom Bathroom. (laughs) and at least sweep the kitchen floor, especially if they're going to be eating. Like we don't want our kitchen to look gross. Um, And, and that's kind of really it. Everything else goes. It reminds me actually of a, a meme I posted once that showed like, it was like three shots of this countertop lined up. And like the first shot was like completely cleaned off. And this was like, this is like the first time you come over my house. And then the middle one, it's like, little bit cluttered and it's like this is when like we've kind of become friends and you've come over a few times and then the last one it's just like a total mess but the most realistic looking counter and it's like this is like for my best friends and (laughs) I was like oh most of my friends are really good friends or best friends because you almost never see the clean (laughs) cleaned off countertop I just want endeavor to feel okay for people to come over because I grew up in a house that nobody was ever allowed to come over because Mm -hmm. it was always so messy Mm -hmm. um and so that's always my but I you know I I do still have a lot of rules in my head even with that right and yeah and I'm having to kind of relearn and reshape and and 
I can thank TikTok for that. So yeah. all of you who are, are down <laughs> on TikTok for whatever reason, there right. are some good things. You just have yeah. to. There's to something for them. everyone. I think yeah. on yeah. TikTok. And remember, it's just a platform. It's not exactly. It's not an actual human. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think that's awesome because once you can like sort of free yourself from some of these things that really only not really only live in our brain because they live in other people's brains they do. too. Yeah. But once you start to free yourself. Um, then you can focus on other stuff that really matters. Exactly. That is really morality, right? <laughs> and then you can also free yourself to use musical instruments to put do your care. That's tasks. right. Make it fun. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. That's actually my big takeaway. Like, how can I make putting away stuff fun? Throw underwear at people's heads. Well, that yeah. Is a, I mean, that's, that's a weekly. Yeah, so obvious. Yeah. yeah, clean underwear. <laughs> oh God, please. <laughs> So Christy, yes. what are you loving lately? I have been waiting to share this. <gasps> I, oh my gosh, April. But you love everything. I do. I do love everything. But I actually wrote this one out a while ago and had been wanting to share it. And then I had that like musical epiphany last time. So, um, but I want to talk about the TV show, Hentified. And that's spelled G-E-N-T-E-F-I-E-D. And okay. it's a play on the word gente, which is for people in Spanish, and gentrified. Oh. Gentrified. And it is a um, it's a show on Netflix. I'm almost sure. Um, the creators <laughs> are uh, Marvin, uh, Marvin Lemus and Alinda Yvette Chavez. And one of the executive producers is America Ferreira. And I forget who told me about it, but somebody mentioned it once. And I was like, oh, that sounds great. One, because I've been working to kind of reinvigorate my Spanish ability. Um, and so I've been doing Duolingo. I have a 95 day streak, woohoo. Um, but also because um, this show is set in um, LA. So in Southern California, um, I miss home all the time. Mm. Um, it's specifically in the Boyle Heights neighborhood of LA and it's a family show. It's, it's a, a, a dramedy, you know, it, it's mostly mm -hmm. comedy. Um, but there are some, you know, serious subjects that, um, show up, um, like gentrification, immigration, discrimination. Um, it centers on a family, um, in Boyle Heights that owns a taqueria and, um, has been there for, you know, has owned this restaurant for 30 some years. And all of a sudden, all these white people are moving into the neighborhood and buying up buildings and it's changing the landscape. It's making rents go up um, and it's pushing businesses mm -hmm. out. Um, and it's really having a negative impact on the, the people who live there. Um, and so uh, the, the main characters are these three cousins who are um, the grandchildren of the owner pop um, of the, the restaurant and how they're interacting with both the restaurant and their own identity as Mexican-American, as Chicano, and then also how they interact with their, their community and their neighborhood. Um, you know, that I, I love that it's half in English, half in Spanish. Um, I love watching the subtitles and pointing out when it's wrong, <laughs> but also like trying to test myself. Um, I find, you know, certain actors it's much easier to understand than others mm -hmm. but also 
how it's just it's integrated into the the conversation just like it would be in Southern California in a, mm-hmm. a Mexican American neighborhood. And actually, Boyle Heights reminds me a bit of some of the neighborhoods near where I grew up um, in both the architecture and also the community makeup. Um, there's amazing music, amazing music. Every episode, I'm like, oh, I love this. And thankfully, there's an official Spotify playlist. Oh, cool. And so yeah. I downloaded it. I've been listening to it. Um, it's a lot of fun. The actors are all great. Um, and so far, there are two seasons. And um, in the second season, America Ferrera actually is the director a lot. And um, oh, cool. she's great. Yeah. Like, you can, uh, like, I can just tell, like, just certain shots and the way think the pacing is it it just was so well done i i've fallen in love with this family and hope that there are more episodes um the arc kind of that the last episode of the second season feels like it could be the end or there could be mm. more so i don't really know if it's coming i did find um a great npr article that i will share um in the show notes about it um and about why the show resonates with Mexican-Americans um, mm. in the U.S., but also specifically in California. And it's because of the creators, because the, the writer's room mm-hmm. is Latinx, the, you know, the, the producers, um, and that they're telling authentic stories without it being what they call trauma porn, which is mm-hmm. focusing just on the pain, right. but rather the, there's a lot of joy and laughter and, you know, amazing things that are happening in communities, even that ones that are struggling. And it's just so wonderful. Oh, it sounds awesome. And also very original again, like the way yeah. that it's produced and mm-hmm. also that culture being so unrepresented in media. Right. And it shouldn't um, be like, no, it's unbelievable. You know, the West coast and the Southwest, mm-hmm. Like Spanish is right. spoken everywhere. Right. Um, the uh, Mexican American and Latinx communities are growing, and but yet we're still not seeing their stories everywhere. Right. And right, and told not through the the white lens, exactly, like the usual yeah. sort of Hollywood lens. Yeah. Uh, actually, that is very similar to my love. <gasps> Really? If you don't mind, and I no, actually please, didn't. Please. Yeah. Well, I didn't not just realize this because. I realized this before, but I do tend to write down like things as they come to me to use in the oh, podcast. <laughs> yeah. Well, it'll be like, oh, this, no, I did learn something from this. So I'll like write it in my notebook. Um, and so I had like bunches of things written down and I did purposely clump these together. Sometimes we talk about things and it's kind of serendipitous, but um, in case people haven't realized it yet, um, I have a bit of a Native American theme going on. So I'm going to talk about uh, reservation dogs the series on hulu and like the show you're talking about it's produced by the cast and crew the writers everyone is from the um native american or indigenous um communities in, in north america so i think some may also be from canada not just the u.s First of all, if it comes out on DVD, which I don't know if TV series still still do, do that. Sometimes, yeah, because yeah, we just got um, we got good place on DVD. Buy, buy them for your libraries if you are in yes, collection about that. I, I tried to look, and I'm not sure if if that's going to happen. But um, you know, at the very least, you can please watch it, recommend it, because it was your show called Hentrified. Is that Hentified. right? Hentified. Hentified. Like that. It's it's just this really unrepresented culture 
in media and TV, especially mm-hmm. TV and movies. And, um, and it's, and it's excellent. You know, it's not just because of that. It's actually right. no, just it's this amazing TV. show. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's about these four teens who live on a reservation in Oklahoma. Um, it's filmed in Oklahoma. They've had a, a crisis in their friend group. And so their plan is to get out of the reservation and go to California and they'll basically do anything it takes to get there, including petty crime um, and hijinks ensue. So <laughs> it's it's actually also like a, a dramedy, right? Because there's there's some real heavy stuff, um, but it's not always the focus. And there's so many funny moments. Um, and yeah, I love it because it's just generally a great show. It's very real. It feels really like authentic, as I said. It's like you're being invited into this world. It's not like the point of view of someone else who really doesn't belong. Um, and the actors are incredible. They're also all really good looking. Uh, my husband always <laughs> points this out when we watch it. It's like It takes place in a setting that I have no experience with, no knowledge of, you know, I've never been to a reservation. There aren't any in the area that we live in. And again, in media, there's just like no exposure to people who live on reservations. Um, so it's like a really unique opportunity to see, you know, not only get to know these kids, but to learn about their lives and their families. And yeah, I mentioned it's, uh, you know, pretty much all the writers and producers, the cast and crew are indigenous North American team. And um, it's the first show that does that. Thank thank you, Wikipedia. Um, Taika Waititi is a familiar name, I think, to many people. He co-wrote the pilot. Um, and then Sterling Harjo, which I learned is not necessarily a relation to Joy Harjo. They do share oh, huh. a familiar name, but yeah, um, but he's the lead writer and executive producer. And, and that actually was purposeful because I think at first... Taika Waititi was going to have more of a, a role, mm-hmm. um, not not an acting role, but as producer, yeah. but deferred to Sterling Harjo, which I thought was, you know, also very cool and interesting. There is going to be a season two, but I don't know Yay. when it's going to be out. Okay. Good. <laughs> um, but again, if you have access to Hulu or get the free trial it's <laughs> or so pay for a month of it and binge it because it really is that good it's so worth watching and you really will have not ever seen anything like it yeah no it's great I I often think about bears I don't know if like his vision mm. the, the man who mm-hmm. shows up in his vision yes I actually looked up the actor I was like I want to I want to watch everything and he's yeah. not been in anything else mm-hmm. like but I want to watch everything he's in because he was amazing he was um, amazing and also like yeah that uh, it's like a humorous character yeah. and I also appreciate that I think that there are a lot of jokes I don't get Mm-hmm. And that's yep. good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same. They're not for me. Totally same. <laughs> Thank you all for listening to another episode. Chris, will you remind people, yes, how to find us? I always forget. Yeah, so, you know, obviously you're listening to this on whatever platform you're on, um, but please subscribe and um, review if you haven't. It helps other people find us. If you would like to send us questions or just share your love with us or stories, you can email us at thispodisoverdue at gmail.com. And we are on Instagram. Um, we will post photos and book covers and other fun things from this 
episode and others, plus sometimes like gems in the middle of things that we get excited about. Um, and on Instagram, we are this pod is overdue. And you'll notice us because we have our bright yellow logo. That's right. And um, on our bio, you can find the link to our show notes. Yes, always. So you can uh, find out about more about the books and other things we talked yep. about today. Absolutely. Thanks Thank for you. listening. Yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks, Christy. Thanks, April. <laughs> Thanks for listening to This Podcast is Overdue with Christy and April. Bye, everyone. Happy reading. Our podcast music was provided by thepodcasthost.com and Alidu, the podcast maker. Find your own free podcast music over at thepodcasthost.com slash free music. Sorry. Well, we'll, just, we'll have to delete that. We don't want to yeah, no, get, you can keep to get on us. <laughs> I, we don't want to get I, sued. No, just kidding. Can, no, <laughs> you can keep it in. <laughs> no, I'm teasing. <laughs>